Hello and welcome to Beauty and the Beat. I am your host, Betsy Zane, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sophia Bragg and Amanda Van Annen. At Beauty and the Beat, we aim to inspire you by talking honestly and openly from matters of the heart to makeup or breakups, health and wealth, nutrition or maybe your ambitions, fashion or fashion faux pas. So come, sit back and relax and join us as we delve deep. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Beauty and the Beat. Today we are discussing debunking the beauty myth. What is the beauty myth, you may ask? They say that beauty is a strong currency. Join us and find out. My name is Betsy and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Amanda and Sophia. On today's show, we are joined by Dr. Daisy Ayim. She is a talented cosmetic surgeon, woman's health expert, business owner, entrepreneur with a keen perspective on beauty and health. Dr. Ayim is doubled fellowship trained cosmetic surgery in facial plastic and general body cosmetic surgery, and also an obstetrician and gynecologist. She is a broad certified with her practice. It's based in Houston, Texas. She owns her solo private practice over 10 years and has an in-depth knowledge of women's health, wellness, and beauty from pre-adolescence onward. She is a dynamic woman, trailblazer, and well-respected surgeon. Dr. Aim has mentored many physicians into private practice, college students seeking medicine, women in business, and motivated to many young girls and women. She wears so many hats, and her greatest hope is to inspire others to become their best self. Welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure to have you here with us. You have an impressive resume. So, and I would love you to tell us, you know, all about it, how you came to where you are now. Well, thank you, ladies, for inviting me to your show. Amanda, Betsy, Sophia, it's really a pleasure to be part of this uh, fun podcast. You know, the history of me being where I am, you know, being an African immigrant in the U.S. of Cameroonian descent, you know, you come with that fighting spirit. You come to succeed because this is the line of opportunity. So along the way, just pursue educational higher goals and then staying steadfast on the vision that I had for myself. And just like that, here I am in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So um, and tell us, uh, so along your journey, did you feel that you face any barriers? What were, you know, how was your journey like? What, you know, getting into cosmetic surgery? Yeah. Well, you know, there are barriers in life for sure. I think the question is how do you let barriers interfere or not interfere with what you have planned for yourself, correct? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I had so many along the way and I still do. But I just choose to look at barriers as an opportunity to redefine, reimagine and evolve to my Mm -hmm. best self. Some of the common barriers, at least in the society, you know, it's a hot topic right now, of course, the racial perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some perceived limitations on how things can be done. But, you know, in this country, you know, I think if you really work hard and you have some nice support system, whether it's from your parents, your family, friends, allies, you can definitely get where you need to go. And I chose cosmetic surgery in the line of women's health because it's very simple. I'm a woman. I appreciate what it means to be a woman. And anything that relates to being a woman comes naturally. So it was very easy for me to blend obstetric gynecology and now cosmetic surgery into one. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you do as as, uh, cosmetic surgery. You know, you said that you do non-invasive surgery. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. What exactly does it mean? I mean, for someone like me, I'm a novice, so, you know, ex- explain. You can tell me. About <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's a very broad specialty. The focus is obviously to give a woman or a man what they like to their likeness, because I can certainly say, hey, I think this is awesome. And, you know, a client can say, I prefer this. And somewhere to reach some middle ground that is acceptable to them and also reflective of my skill set. So I work with anything on the face, the body, the breast, the skin. And then my special need is also aesthetic uh, vaginal surgery, cosmetic surgery. (laughs) Yes. You know, a lot of women need and want that. And as you age in your 30s and 40s, you've had children and you've just changed your hormonal imbalance. It does affect intimacy. And that's something that's not really spoken a lot. So that's something I specialize in as well, in restoring that aspect of women, you know. We all know about Viagra, but do you know of any Viagra for women? 
<laughs> no, 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 most definitely not. <laughs> so that's something that I definitely look as part of my specialty in what I do. So it's everything you can imagine that a woman or a man would want to improve their parents, how they feel for themselves, not others, but themselves. I see. Interesting. You know, also I wanted to ask you, Doctor, you know, do you find that, you know, over the years, have you seen trends in the type of cosmetic procedures that, you know, you perform? Oh, yes. I mean, I think the current trend, obviously, the more popular one that you hear of, at least on Instagram, is like fat transfer to the buttocks and primarily with the hips to give this hourglass look. That seems mm-hmm. to be the hottest trend. But also in the non-surgical world, a lot of uh, women and men are realizing that preventive cosmetic surgery is what you want to go. What I mean by that is doing things that doesn't involve cutting. Instead of waiting to your 50s or beyond or 60s to have facelift, why not do certain procedures in your 20s and 30s to maintain your aging process so that you don't have to have surgery? So devices is the new trend, using devices to enhance our beauty, improve skin quality mm-hmm. so that it can withstand the aging and the anti-gravitational effect as we get older. Okay. And what are these procedures uh, or like these preventative things that people tend to do now? Oh, yeah. So there are so many devices and products in the market. I would just focus on what I offer in my program. Mm-hmm, of course. Radio frequency is a really big procedure that's out there. It's actually a premier solution because it's non-invasive, quite safe and quite effective. And it comes in different modalities and applications that you can use on the face. So if you have like sagging jowls or double chin or just, you know, as we're FaceTiming right now, zoom in, you look at yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, look at my neck or look at this. We have, you know, those devices that can restore the appearance and the same radio frequency can be used to restore some body contouring. If you have, you know, your love handles or a little push in your lower abdomen, you do not want to go through a surgery or a liposuction, then you use these devices to really help tighten and melt the fat. So radio frequency is a big device that I use in my practice for a lot of my facial procedure, my body contouring, and also for feminine cosmetic surgery. It's quite safe and effective and very minimal to no downtime, which is really important to my clients. Sorry to just keep on going deeper into this. Obviously, I don't want to put too many questions on you, but these seem to be procedures that are mostly oriented around fat loss, if I pick that up correctly, like the double chin and the second jaw and like something like love handles and stuff. But does radio frequency also like, so you said it melts fat, but then also it tightens the skin. Like how, if you can spare maybe like two more minutes to like go a bit deeper into how radio frequency works, I'm sure listeners will be intrigued to find out. Okay. So in in this particular context of radio frequency, it's a double probe device where there's a skinny probe, we make a small, tiny incision. I'm talking about maybe half of your pinky finger nail bed. And this skinny probe is smaller than a straw. It's inserted underneath the skin in the fatty layer and it hits up those fat cells, melts it. And then it hits up the dermis layer, which is a layer that you don't see of your skin. And that's what stimulates your body to produce collagen, elastin, which helps with the skin tiny. And that melted fat is there. I go afterwards with a small cannula when the probe is removed to aspirate that fat in whichever body location that is done. So the device is uh, heat shock proof and temperature controlled so Mm -hmm. that you cannot overheat the body and cause damage. So the probe that's inside is monitoring the internal body temperature. On the surface of the skin, there's a plate that picks up the temperature on the skin itself and monitors it. So we're monitoring the temperature internally and externally to make sure that it's entirely safe. And all of this is done while awake. So, you know, it's easy to communicate with the uh, clients and say, how are you feeling? How's it going? And they tell you, you know, and so it's very comfortable. Okay. So interesting. Like, uh, absolutely amazing what you do (laughs) or what you can do even these days with all the new technology. I mean, you know, that's the good thing about medicine and innovation. You know, it's constantly evolving and it's constantly changing based on prior devices and what has worked, what hasn't worked and how it can be improved. So but right now we say Inmo has the leading edge on what is secure in the market. Mm. So how does a specialist like you, Daisy, 
like how do you deal with like when there's like newer newer things on the market like do you instantly feel like you want to learn about the newest technologies or like when they invent new things how does that bind into like what you do like do you always want to get the newest technology Not necessarily. You know, there's always going to be innovation and new toys that are in the market. The first thing I do is I ask myself, is it effective? And two, is it more effective with what I'm already using? And can it improve what I'm doing? And is there a need of it in my practice? So I ask those internal questions before I look into bringing something in or not. And just because it's a newer toy doesn't mean that it's better. And sometimes yeah. what you have may be old. So it's just like anything else that you make a decision on, you ask those personal questions and then look at the big picture. How is this going to improve my practice? How is it going to improve how I care for patients and the options they have? Because as a client comes to me, they are looking for options. My job is to give them all the options and then tailor it to what is best for them. So I just really do my research. I think that's yes. the main thing. Do my research yeah. and then make an educated decision. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So, Dr. Daisy, what I see you've mentioned a lot about radio frequency. We talked a lot about that. We talked about fat redistribution, redistributing fat around the body. Yeah. And we also talked about the various modalities you use. And you talked about a company called InMode. So, InMode, I've read a bit about InMode, and they do a lot of radio frequency stuff. So they do the one you talked about which is like if I'm right it's the face tight and the body tight you just right. talked about <laughs> and I know they've got Morpheus they've got Forma yeah. they've got Lumica I believe Lum- Lumica yeah. Yeah. they've got quite a lot and they're all based usually around radio frequency correct so from what I can gather from what you've said there are two things to prevent anti-aging tightening the skin correct. to help maintain it I mean the fat part it depends on if you want to if you feel like you want to get rid of your fat you don't have to but if you feel that that will help but also I wanted to segue into the field of regenerative medicine and how important fat is because of the cells in the fat mm-hmm. and how, you know because I know people take fat from let's say their stomach and put in their face and how this helps reju- rejuvenate and give it that youthful look correct importance of fat and the stem cells. And so, you know, talking about all that, what would you say beauty is to you? Oh, wow. That's a very good question. Beauty to me is a very simple definition. It's how you feel. It's not what I think, it's not what someone thinks, it's not what society perceive or put out there. It's how you feel. You know, a woman can be very beautiful sitting at home working in her backyard her barefoot on her garden and she feels beautiful right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. someone passing by looking at her say oh my gosh she looks like a mess so it's a feeling and that's how i define beauty and that feeling is a self validation that comes with positive affirmation of self mm-hmm. confidence of self and success within self and that's a very individualized definition of success mm-hmm. because what i consider successful may not be successful to another woman or another person so it's a very internalized feeling okay my next question for you is from everything you've discussed and we've discussed and from what we see in the magazines and everything so far would i be correct to assume that most of plastic surgery the aim apart from changing one's body is to try and look younger because when i think about it most of especially the anti-aging procedures are huge there's obviously things like the boob jobs the nose jobs mm-hmm. would you say the vast majority is anti-aging to try and look younger because you know in the world we're obsessed with age mm-hmm. and we have this psychological relationship to age and yeah. the fact that you know we feel that once we've reached a certain threshold in our aging it's all the way down from there on mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you explain like that, I, I could certainly agree with that. I think the vast majority is to maintain youthful appearance, okay? And that youthful appearance is not so much of an age. How many women have you seen walk around and they say, "Oh my gosh, I'm 55," and you're like, "No way," because <laughs> she looks 30, right? Yeah. 
So the obsession is to appear youthful, and that can be very tricky slope there, right? Because youthfulness doesn't necessarily mean young age. And fat is a very important component of that, because just looking at our face as we age, the fat distribution is what reveals how <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's what reveals our age and how we've lived life. So mm-hmm. having fat on your face is, is good. And the distribution of the fat is also good. And so the appearance of youthfulness is what the goal of plastic surgery is, in my opinion. And, and that youthful appearance is so personalized. There are some people that appear youthful their entire life mm-hmm. by good genes, by good genetics, by just natural selection. And there are some that, you know, deteriorate faster. And then, you know, they have to do things to restore and hold on to it and so that it doesn't ages you. So the goal of it is to maintain what is youthful and best to you. Mm-hmm. Because what is done for one client cannot be done to another. So everything has to be customized. And also, what is the person thinking? Yes. But Dr. Daisy, when we talk about youthful, so what is useful? Because let, there we can segue into things like injectables. Right. I see a lot of people doing injectables, like Botox and stuff. Yeah, it works. It stops wrinkles and stuff. But then I also see the filler. Yeah, People put so much filler in their face. Yeah. Yes, the skin is smooth, <laughs> but you don't recognize them. They look like someone else. So yeah. is that useful? That is yeah. not useful. That is definitely an outlier. The intent of fillers and Botox is to maintain, in my opinion, a sort of normalcy of your appearance. Mm-hmm. When you start going outside that threshold to be creative or for whatever reason is, obviously it takes away from your natural self-appearance. That is a completely different topic. It could be they just like it, you know? I mean, I may not agree that it looks good, in my opinion, but if she's happy or he is happy with it, who am I to judge, right? This is ultimately a personal happiness and journey that you're on. However, in my practice, I try to really maintain that fine balance. I mean, I have had instances where I tell patients, no, I will not do that. Mm-hmm. Because in some ways, you're a reflection of who I am. Yes, ex- exactly. That's yes, very true. Mm-hmm. And um, Daisy, can I ask you a personal question? I wanted to know, do you lead by example? Do I lead by example? I lead by example, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So prior to cosmetic surgery, every client of mine would tell you that the one thing I push in my practice and definitely make sure they have a fair balance is nutrition and exercise. My discussion with every client is those two things is not a substitution for plastic surgery. Right. So if you have a great lifestyle where you're eating healthy, avoiding your sugars, your fatty foods, and all those indulgences in life, and you're working out, you will maintain a lot of your youthful appearance. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's genetics. So that's a very personal question you asked me, and I'll give you a very personal answer. I work out pretty much most days of the week. And that's just something I've been doing since I was 15. It's like brushing teeth. You know, I have to do it every day because it's just part of my life. Yeah. And I'm very cautious about what I eat. I sparingly eat out. I cook most of the time. Again, it's a personality thing. So have I used any of my products? I have not had Botox or fillers yet. But believe me, if I feel that when I look in the mirror, I need something, I will be the first one to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can say you look absolutely beautiful. I mean, you're useful. The skin is glowing. So, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Daisy. I think one of the things we should talk about is, you know, this dysmorphia that people start to face because of images thrown on through magazines, through social media, and through all these things, where I'm even seeing perfectly beautiful, really young girls of about 16 just getting stuff done that, you know, doesn't even make them look younger. It makes them look older and doesn't really go with their aesthetics. Yes. You think about that? You know, I think that really is a judgment call on whoever is providing those procedures to those type of clients. You know, there are some moral ethics that you have to have as you're the operator of this machine, right? I have my limitations of what I would or would not do in my practice. I am not shy to express that to someone seeking certain procedure. I mean, 
If I have a 15 year old that comes in and tells me, Doctor, I might want to have a breast augmentation, you know, liposuction, fat transfer to my butt or whatever the case is. I mean, we need to talk because at 15, I don't think that should really be your priority. Okay. <laughs> we yeah. need to talk about where are you trying to go with life? You know, what are your career ambitions? Is it college? Is it trade school? What are you trying to do with life? Those physical attributes can be addressed a little bit later down the road. So I think that's when the psychology of this comes in play, you know, talking to a client to understand what is the motivation of why you want to do this and really getting down to it because it's not going to solve the issue if it's psychological. It's not going to solve it. Would you say that that's where a lot of young people that really strive to look like their idols on Instagram and reality TV Would you think that's where they go wrong? They get into the hands of a doctor that possibly doesn't discuss these mental things with them and they're just driven by money. I mean, the doctors, would you think that's where the whole society thing goes wrong? Because we see so many of these surgeries being shown on Instagram that are just becoming to look like Ken and Barbie dolls, like everybody's the same. Yeah, I mean, there's a general responsibility on so many levels, right? First, it starts at home. You know, who are the caregiver or the caretaker of these young kids? Where are the parents? What type of morals, what type of discussion you're having with them? Then it goes into the doctor's office. What type of discussion are you having with these young kids that want to look like something that's not real? And yes, then the third level is this celebrities or idols that push a certain image at a certain age and make it seem very normal and very cool and a very necessary tool to be whatever you're trying to be. So there are different layers of pressure and misinformation that can really skew a young one to perceive this industry as something that I can do just easily. And, you know, so everyone takes fault at this. Everyone should take fault at this and to really do a good job to guide these young kids and hopefully stir them in the right direction. I mean, Instagram is the best and the worst of cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. It brings out the best because it definitely promotes what we do. It's a great way to meet clients and communicate and grow the business and, and the ideology of it. But it's also worse because if you've not truly formed yourself and grounded in who you are, you mm-hmm. can be swayed into something based on an image on your phone, which is not real life. Real life is once you put down the phone, how do you take care of yourself? You know, what are your financial situation? What is your health situation? What is your support system? You know, those things are more important and valuable. And so it's a double-edged sword the way I see it, you know, and it's tough. I have a daughter, you know, she's going to be 15 this year. And I have those conversations with her and I see it, you know, it's like peer pressure times 20 or even a hundred. Imagine us growing up and just having the pressure of, you know, going to secondary school or high school and trying to fit in, make friends and, you know, just do the normal things. And then now you have this pressure of Instagram and social media to add to it. It's a different level of pressure. And it's very tough to raise young girls, I would say boys too, but young girls especially, to really appreciate What I said initially when I started about what is the definition of beauty is how you feel. Who's impacting your feeling? And that's why media is is an animal. (laughs) But Dr. Daisy, another thing I want to talk about is the pressure in general for women. You know, just like there's a lot of pressure on women to look younger, to be attractive, to be so-called sexy. Right. Or have a butt like Kim Kardashian and boobs like whatever. And I feel a lot of women feel pressured because they're being judged by right. their aesthetics. And this goes even for very famous women. We've seen situations of actresses like Renee Zellweger who came back with a totally different look from the way she looked before. Right. Um, and at first we couldn't even recognize her, but it's all settled now and we can. But, you know, What can be done about, I mean, I don't want to say what can be done, but how does a young woman resist this type of pressure? And I know a lot of it has to do with mental health, but the pressure is being thrown at you every day Mm because even in the magazines, when they write someone's name, they'll say, 
XYZ 23. Correct. 55. I yeah. never understood what the age has to do with anything. Can't they just tell us their name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that is a very tough one. It's a pressure that's very real. And I don't think it will ever go away. I think we're doing a good job to recognize body positivity. You know, like recently you go to Target, you see the mannequin of various body shape and whatnot. That is a nice positive visual appearance but i still think that is going to be tough because you know we're humans and we're judgmental beings and we have preconceived notion so i think the goal for me at least is to build a mindset that is solid and strong so that regardless of what the wind and the wave is it doesn't deter for who you are and what you're trying to accomplish for yourself And I think that's the only way to really withstand all this perception because the definition of beauty changes with generation, changes with culture, Mm -hmm. changes with different continent. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that is constant is your mindset. So if you have a good, solid mindset, it doesn't matter if you are in South Africa or Ghana or France or Sweden or USA or Colombia, you are okay because your mindset hasn't changed. The society and the depiction of what is considered beautiful changes, but it doesn't affect you because of how you have internally wired yourself. And that's why I really fall back to. So Dr. Daisy, another thing I want to talk about is the intimate stuff you do. Yeah. So I know you do a lot of <laughs> I know you do a lot of intimate if I say vaginal stuff, rejuvenation. Correct. And so I know that includes um, labiaplasty, which means like reducing the labia or putting fat in the labia to make it plumper and youthful or tightening it with various radio frequency devices, including there's one where you actually put it in a probe. Correct. (laughs) What's it called, that one? And that's the Votiva device. Votiva, because I see you advertise it, where you put it in so it tightens it all. And do you think we're going a bit too far? Because when I think about this, we're also beginning now to also worry about the aesthetics of our nanas. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think we're going too far, to be honest with you. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't think we've even gone far enough. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. really? Goodness, please enlighten us. And- well, let me tell you why. Because women's sexuality has not been embraced or discussed to the full effect of how it should be. Men's sexuality is. It's something that's understood. It's out there. We even succumb to it that, oh, he's just a man. You know, he needs to have his needs met or whatnot. But women are on the receiving end of that in the context of the discussion. Okay, so no, women's sexuality and intimacy is not discussed enough and it's not out there enough to really validate the concerns that I have. I have preview info as a obstetrician and gynecologist. I practice for, what, over 10 years and I've delivered thousands and thousands of babies. And there are issues that come with childbirth. Mm-hmm. The anatomy changes, the hormonal imbalance do occur. Yeah. And as time passes on, sex is not the same for some women. Some women are fortunate at 70 is just like they were 25. Well, you know what? That's not <laughs> that's not most women. So yes. it does affect the relationship, the dynamic in the marriage and, and whatnot. And so I think it's something that needs to be talked spoken more. And I am so glad that there are solutions in the market to really assist women with this. And this is not something that you call your girlfriends and say, oh, by the way, you know, when I have sex with my husband, it's just dry. I'm just uncomfortable. I feel like I can't, you know, I, I don't enjoy orgasm. You know, it's tough. Those are not cocktail conversations. Hmm. I mean, you and I know that there's this whole myth. You discuss it by your sexual marital life. You're inviting visitors. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> So there's a silence in that sexual health. So I feel that the more devices, the more things, solutions that we have out there, the better we are. We're speaking of things that are not spoken of. I counsel women privately when they tell me, oh, you know, I I have not had sex with my husband in three or four years, you know, 
or I'm not, you know, I don't enjoy it. And I, or I don't get orgasm at all, you know? So these things are real. It's not made up. You know, I know they promote us women as a sexual being on the billboard on social media, everything, but there's that sexuality is an image promotion. Mm-hmm. Then there's that physical, the actual act of it that is not even promoted or discussed. And it's a real deal. It's a real issue. So vaginal tightening, vaginal narrowing, there's a space for it. You know, a woman that's delivered three or four babies or even one that was nine pounds or six pounds or she tore and healed and the scarring caused the vaginal introitus to change and be sensitive is a necessary procedure. Or if a woman has age and has lack decreased estrogen and the tissue is not as plump and soft and responsive, something like a stem cell, like we spoke in area, regenerative medicine is very helpful to restore that. And there's a place for it. Or the woman that's had, unfortunately, female genital mutualization, which is being done by a lot of countries all over the world, they don't have the ability to enjoy intimacy. There's a place for that. And then the woman that has labioplasty, you know, she may not feel comfortable in her swimsuit because she looks full down there. Again, she cannot post that picture on Instagram because <laughs> it doesn't look best. She may need a labioplasty to improve the appearance of it. So I really do think that it's not spoken enough. And it's something that I definitely want to shout on the mountaintop, the importance of it. Because, again, you've heard of Viagra. Have you heard of a female equivalent? Everyone knew of Viagra. And I remember when it came out, I thought to myself, well, who were they having sex with? I mean, we're fixing them, but what about her? When you were talking about, you know, the ladies that have had some mutation. um, Oh, the female genital genital mutation, yes. I was always curious to know one question is, if they decide to do like some cosmetic surgery on it, is there any chance that they can regain the feeling? Because obviously it's a lot of nerve endings and if they um, mutated it so badly that it cannot be restored. But is there a chance to get the feeling back for for these women? Yeah. So uh, FGM, which is female genital mutualization, there are different categories of it and different types, which depicts the severity of it. So it all depends on which one she had. Mm -hmm. If she had, you know, so there's type one to four. So if she had like a type one, there's hope because there's still some anatomy that's left that can be tweaked or enhanced or helped. But if a woman has had like a type four, which means everything is taken up and just the whole is there, there's not much you can do because everything is off. The thing about the glotoris, which is the sexual pleasure of a human anatomy, is that sometimes the base of it, the part that's not visible, if you touch, they could feel something, but again, that's so that's such a rich. So it all depends the severity of what was done to them and what can be done to improve it. And I see quite a good number of patients here in my practice that have had this procedure done. I've delivered some that have had this procedure, and I have I receive some now as cosmetic clients. And you know, it's a very saddened reality. Yeah, it's a very touchy subject as well because. It's still, even in the center, I feel this is something that keeps happening and there's no way to stop it because of the cultural and the religious background of it. Yeah, it is. And that's why I feel very passionate when I say that women's sexuality or women's, the talking of intimacy is not done enough. It's because, you know, I have this experience as an expert, as a women's health expert, women that have spoken to me and confided to me and, and and reveal some of the most intimate thing. If you cannot discuss with your gynecologist what's going on in your bedroom, I'm not sure who you'll be talking to. So you can imagine those appointments can be very in-depth. So therefore, this whole big, what appears to be a push for it, it's not enough because this has been going on for centuries. Yeah. I often do believe that for women, it is, well, no offense to male gynecologists, but I think it's almost more comfortable to go see a female gynecologist because she can understand you better because she has the the same device as you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no offense to male ones either, but it's like, I feel just like you touched Daisy, like women's sexuality and 
intimacy and things like this are almost shunned sometimes because we live in this testosterone-driven world. It's okay to talk about their intimacy and their sexuality, and it's almost forgotten when it comes to women. Therefore, I really love TV shows like Sex in the City when it was like just spun out there and then everybody started feeling a little bit more free to speak about sex and to say what they like and what they enjoy and then and so on i i feel i find that that was so liberating and the um couple of weeks ago i came across this um tv show on netflix original series called the goop lab i think it's from the company that Gwyneth Paltrow has and she sends out people to experience certain types of maybe natural healing doctors or like um, these uh, mushrooms and things like that. That would, this, this is all kind of like supervised under like doctor supervision. And there was a lady, I do not remember her name. She actually educates women about how to orgasm because believe it or not, a lot of women have trouble reaching an orgasm. And because this topic about sexuality is always kind of like frowned upon and like, oh, woman, you shouldn't, you're a lady, you shouldn't speak like that. So like, who am I going to ask for an opinion? And therefore, I think it's brilliant what you do, Daisy, that you have these discussions with your clients. And I feel for me personally, it's almost more comfortable to have a female gynecologist because obviously it's a woman. So she understands more about how I feel. It's not about the anatomy of things, but how I could feel because she's a woman and women can relate yeah. to women. I mean, you're definitely not in the minority with that perception. I, there's just a natural push now for women to want a woman in that uh, realm. And I just, by default, gynecology was a male-dominated field just because back then they were the one allowed to go to school, to go to medical school yeah. and pursue this. And I would say probably in the 90s or so, we've seen a shift in the specialty going more female-oriented than male. You know, ultimately, being a great physician is, one, to have the ability to empathize. Mm-hmm. And that empathy has nothing to do with uh, whether you're male or female. It's just being a human. So if you have a great amount of empathy, you can execute your, your job in such a way that any client can feel as if you connect with what they're trying to express. And there's just that natural perception that in that realm, a female is probably a preferred one, but that female also has to have empathy. Because, you know, (laughs) if she doesn't have that connection, it's also a problem, right? Because then it's even more disappointing because you just knew she was going to be it. Yeah. So it's a real thing. And the more we talk about it, the better it is. And I just feel very not, I feel good when I see, not to bring social media, but when women are promoting sexuality and owning up to their sexual power. Yeah. And recognizing the power that comes with it and demanding equal satisfaction in the bedroom. Because in the 50s, a woman's role in many ways was a sum up to my husband goes to work, I stay home and I raise the kid and I make him happy and I make the family happy. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But were you making yourself happy is what I want to know. Yeah. True. Were you owning up to your sexual powerness at that time? And that's a question I didn't live then, so I can't tell you. But my guess is it's probably not because that same woman in, in our generation she may still stay at home and raise us two kids, but when the husband comes home, she's like, hey, I want this too. <laughs> and she expects this too, you know, or maybe she doesn't. She might say, hey, I don't want this because I'm tired. Who knows? Yeah. So, but I think it's a very valid thing, something like Sex in the City that came out and liberated women and liberated women to feel very free to own that conversation and recognize that it's just as healthy as discussing you know, does my cheekbone looks high today or yeah. <laughs> my blood pressure good? It's healthy. It's a healthy conversation and it's nothing shameful about it. I do feel like we are owed another some kind of season like Sex in the City, but with all the online dating and things like that, like we talked about in our previous podcast, I just feel like we're owed like a new series because obviously that's like from the late 90s, well, it started in 1999 and uh, the very early 2000s. So like, 
things might have even shifted from there. So I really, really would hope that one of the, like a Netflix or HBO or one of the production companies would like just pick up on this and create another amazing series. I think they would do really well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you do have all those reality shows that I do not watch, but they seem to promote women in some light. (laughs) Being very free with their sexual presence, you know. So I think it's there in a way. But in the realm of what I do as a cosmetic surgeon, I love it. I think it's a great thing. I, I love the fact that we may come to my office and say, hey, you know, Dr. I, I want to enjoy sex again. You know, I want to enjoy my husband again. I, I like it and I don't feel anything. I just feel like I am a passive player. And you shouldn't be a passive player in your happiness, you know. But when you look at Instagram, the portrait is this woman is a fanciful woman. You know, she has a husband, the kids and this and that. And life is great. But underneath it is this layer of issues that may or may not be discussed. And so in the context of what I do, I think it's very free to say, you know what, I cannot talk to my girlfriends about this, but I can talk to my uh, cosmetic surgeon about it and get solutions. (laughs) That's brilliant. I mean, absolutely. I would love to, if I was getting any kind of cosmetic surgery done, I would love to be presented with a woman of your caliber and someone who's so empathetic like you that's so lovely to hear because it's a nightmare sometimes to find someone that will listen to you and will offer a solution to the problems that you have yeah yeah and you know cultural expectations too are very real you know some women seek to have like say hymenoplasty mm-hmm. to restore the hymen so that on the wedding day there's oh. a perception of this is the first time, you know. Have you done um, any of these type of surgeries? Yes, yes. You know, so I mean, the, the vaginal cosmetic surgery is a diverse procedure. You know, labioplasty is just one of it. There's hymenoplasty, restoring the hymen. There's a vaginal introitus narrowing, trying to restore the opening so that you improve sensation, you know. Oh, wow. There's a clitoral hood reduction or stimulation with PRP stem cells. You know, so there's a lot to it. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know that there's more than just a couple of types of it. Oh, there's so many things that we do to get that part running again. You know, it's like a car. And I consider that the engine of the car. Okay. (laughs) So you're talking about the PRP stem cells. And would you then physically... Could you explain, first of all, to our audience, what is PRP so people understand what exactly PRP is? Yeah, so PRP, guys, is essentially us drawing your blood, spinning in a special tube to separate the layers of the blood. And then we take the layer that's rich in platelet, okay? That platelet-rich area is injected. Let's say, for example, we're talking right now in the glutorous area. And what it does is it contains stem cells and that stimulates the cell in that area that's injected to produce more of itself. So therefore it improves sensitivity because the clitoris is a sensitive part of uh, intimacy REM. PRP can be used on the face. Let's say you do the microneedling on the face and you want to stimulate the cells and the collagen elastin to boost the growth of it. You apply PRP and it just enhances that process because it's high in stem cells. You know, prior to cosmetic usage, it was being used for medical reasons like, you know, knee surgery. Orthopedics used it quite a bit. It's just now we're using it in the cosmetic realm in other modalities to just improve the tick in that area. Interesting. So PRP actually helps rejuvenate the cells. So if you've got, if it's not functioning properly down there, it can help increase sensitivity and Would you ever see a situation, because I think I saw that once online, where they actually inject inside with PRP, like they put injections inside, like the inside the... The vaginal wall? Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, that's done as well, for sure. That's part of the whole process. Not only is it done in the clitoris area, it's done in the anterior vaginal wall. There's medical indication or medical benefit of that, you know, because right there you have your urethra. So if you have an incontinence, you know, you cough, laugh, sneeze, or jog, and you, you have urine leakage, 
PRP injected in a strategic location, the anterovaginal wall can really improve this. So it's a medical indication for stress incontinence. And so it's helpful. And stress incontinence, as you know, can happen to any one of us, you know, just with aging, it can happen. Childbirth can happen. Weight fluctuations, gaining weight, losing weight, that can affect urinary retention. So there's that medical indication. And then obviously the cosmetic indication very interesting. I mean, yeah. I'm now we've talked about vaginal rejuvenation. We've talked about your non-invasive modalities. What is the invasive stuff you do? Oh, yeah. So the invasive surgery that I do is all the traditional cosmetic procedures that we all know of, you know, eyelid surgery, facelift, reduction in any concern, you know, there's uh, lip enhancement or lines reduction in the face you know, neck lift, breast lift, breast reduction, breast augmentation, tummy tuck. Yeah, so just about any cosmetic procedure you need from head to toe, I do perform as well. Interesting. What I liked that you said, though, earlier on was the fact that you give people a 360 approach to the whole thing. Yeah. So it's not only just come, let me cut you up and make you into a Barbie doll. It's like, what about your nutrition? Why don't you start eating properly? exercise because I believe it's a 360 approach you know like I think you have the right to feel good about yourself and if you think surgery is going to make you feel better do it I'm 100% behind you but it can't be a temporary fix it's full circle so you have to eat better exercise if you you know but also one thing which I was talking to Dr. Daisy about earlier was that you can't do surgery because of someone else. Correct. I see a lot of women that go to plastic surgeons' offices because they're trying to make their boyfriend happy, their husband happy, their whatever happy. So they're having plastic surgery because they think it's going to stop him from cheating or maybe they, you know, it makes them feel insecure. And the reason I'm talking about this is because this happens to a lot of women. Yeah. Because, you know, as we grow older, you know, there's a lot of cheating going on, unfortunately, with mm-hmm. younger women. Yes. And a lot of women just, it totally destroys them. It does, you know, and that's definitely not the solution. You know, having plastic surgery to hold on to your husband or to hold on to a relationship should not be your goal. If that is your goal, it's a failed goal. The goal of plastic surgery or cosmetic procedure, in my opinion, is to improve how you feel. Mm-hmm. It's about you. And it's about what you want. And if you feel great, you look great, a lot of things will fall in place. However, it cannot be a singular approach because that would not be long lasting. You get the result, but then it's not sustainable. So a sustainable action is an action that has lifestyle in place in the form of nutrition, exercise. Then you come into your surgeon to enhance what you have already Put in place so that when you go back to your life, you're sustaining the lifestyle you have created to enforce the solution that I gave you. Mm-hmm. And I really have that talk with all my clients. You know, maybe something like liposuction or tummy tuck. You know, I want them to maintain a weight for a certain amount of time before we go forward. And I definitely counsel them: it's not a weight loss solution. You know, this is not a weight loss solution. You should have solutions already in place execute it and then this is just an enhancer and that's how it should be approached you know and unfortunately it goes back to that what is the definition of beauty which is that Mm -hmm. inner self you've got to have that very strong sense of who you are and what you want for your life so that when things change you become pregnant you gain 40 50 pounds which is a little more than you should and afterwards you're not able to lose the weight and you get pregnant again and then afterwards, you have a lot of sagging, you have abdominal muscle. Some women have the ability to get back to where they are. Some do not. And so you have to make those decisions for yourself that are sustainable to get you back where you were. And come to a cosmetic surgeon to do that should be the third thing on that list, not the first. Also, another question I had is the commitment to plastic surgery. Because I wrote a blog once where I wrote a blog once and I said plastic surgery is a commitment because I feel like 
no matter what surgery you have, so someone comes to you for liposuction and they've got a tummy tuck and they're all flat, it's a commitment. They have to be committed to keeping their weight down after that. They have to be committed, you know, to eating healthy, exercising. Yeah. So it's never like, oh, yeah, I've done it and that's it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's not. It, it's not and it cannot be because then the results will work for one year. And, you're and then you're back, back again. <laughs> yes. You're back to where you started. So it cannot be. It has to be a mindset and a lifestyle change. You know, how many, I've had clients here that have had tummy tuck and they're pregnant. Oh dear, yes. You know, and <laughs> obviously I was like, well, you know, you kind of wasted your money because you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you had the tummy tuck and you got pregnant. You shouldn't really do that because, you know, you're sort of going against your effort. So it's just making decisions that are wise and be very long-term in your thought process, in your decision. And how do I keep myself going? Me being an avid exercise workout person that have been doing this since 15, the way you get results in your 20s, your 30s, and now 40s is so different. I do more now just to barely hold on, not even get better. But hold on, mm-hmm. I do more. So you have to start young. You have to start in your 20s. Botox is good if you have wrinkles before 30s to prevent you know, long-term aging. That's excellent. But in that same breath, having a good exercise program will be your savior in your 40s and 50s and 60s. Because it's, the things just don't work the same. You know, the same salad you add with the same little dressing, for whatever reason, manifests differently in your 40s and 50s. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And, you know, know. it's it's interesting what you were saying because you find that, you know, for most part, when I see people that have had procedures done, then it almost, I feel, becomes an addiction from from what I've noticed. And you see they have one procedure, then it's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And what do you say to people? I mean, is it advisable to keep, where, where does it end? Because like you said, I think we talked about earlier on that you find that people tend to have like body dysmorphia and, and they distort themselves to the point where, you know, they're either unrecognizable. So, I mean, it's an extreme. There's always extreme in everything in life, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. not the most, you know, most people that seek plastic or cosmetic surgery don't take it that far. Mm-hmm. The ones that take it far are the ones that end up on TV, you know, on that's TV right. shows and talk about it because that's the exciting, that's the buzz. There are so many people walking around that have had procedure done that you will never know. Very subtle, very natural, very, what I call, not distortion of self. So many. Your neighbor could have had a breast implant. You never know because there's nothing about her presentation that scream, oh, my gosh, look at my boobs. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so it's all about how the person conduct themselves with a cosmetic procedure. You know, now in, in the realm of what I do, I, I can easily spot it. I can look at a face and say, okay, they've had this or that done mm-hmm. only because I see it consistently. Yeah. If I was just a lay person, just appreciating beauty, I'd be like, oh, wow, that, you know, she looks really nice. I may not see the things that I see. In the same lens, I'm more critical too of the things I see because it's like, oh, you know, the angles in the mouth could be a little bit this, you know, that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Most people that have had cosmetic procedures, in my opinion, are very soft and subtle. If they don't tell you, you will not know. Yes. But the danger is now we're going on the Instagram thing now where people, I actually think it's giving people body dysmorphia because they're looking at these people thinking, I need to look like that. Yeah, competing basically, yes. And that person looks like a freak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And people are going to plastic surgeons saying, I want to look like that. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a discussion that person and the surgeon really need to decide on, right? And again, I have my limitations. I know what I will or will not do. And I do say no, even if the money appears very pleasing, I do say no. Because at the end of the day, you know, I have to feel good about what I do. And the goal is to improve someone's overall package, right? And if I feel that what you're requesting is to is really just far left with what I stand for, I will not do it. You know, because I am my own moral compass. I am my own ethical compass. And 
However, they can go to someone, you know, around the street and they do it. And that's fine. That's their decision. But I just know what I will or will not do. So I do say yes to some things. And I also say no. I think we're just in a society now that social media is really pushing out all the false narrative, the false perfection, the false perception. And it's quite dangerous. And for the younger generation, it's even more so. It's like, you know, just (laughs) you don't go to school, you get some kind of a job making a million dollars and you live in this fancy house and you take all this expensive vacations and stay in all this nice yards and drive this amazing car and you've put like zero effort. Voila, this is life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. So, but meanwhile, there's a whole legwork to get there, you know? And me as a physician, I'm not doing those things on Instagram. Am I able to show that life? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't uh, overnight, voila. It was many years of sitting, reading books, taking exams, sleepless night, feeling like, why am I doing this? While your friends are moving on in life, getting married or moving or just achieving things, but you're still studying. Mm-hmm. And then you wake up 15 years later to be where I am. So it's a very dangerous thing that social media is doing, I feel, to the younger generation. And, and I'm not sure how that can be fixed. And ultimately starts at home mm-hmm. and how you raise your kids and how you try to deflect that. And I say that as a parent, I have a teenager and she doesn't have a social media account. That's not to say she doesn't know social media. I believe me, I'm sure when she goes to school, she and her friends are there because they all have it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but some things that I do at home is to try to deflect that pressure, that perception of this is what you need to be, this is what you need to have. There's a lot of good with it too also. I have seen you know people doing good with it. So it's mm-hmm. a balance. I totally agree with you about that, you know, in, in regard to it being a choice. But before Betsy rounds up, I want us to go through 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and just give us what you'd advise someone in their 20s to do, what procedures they should be looking at, mm-hmm. someone in their 30s, someone in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Okay. So in your 20s, I think that's your foundation, your foundation of who you're going to become. So the things you want to do is work out, exercise, eat healthy, avoid alcohol, avoid smoking, you know, avoid all those things in life that are considered fanciful, right? That should be your year of foundation implanting yourself so that in your 30s, you see the benefit of it. And during your 30s, you know, Botox, fillers, Those things come in place, Mm -hmm. you know, fat distribution start coming into place. So some minimal invasive procedures like skin tightening, it's okay to have those things because, again, it's all about different body types, different body habits, you know. Mm -hmm. Someone that is of a small frame may not need some procedure of someone in a larger frame and vice versa. So your 30s, and again, you want to continue those foundations, those building blocks, exercising, eating healthy, maybe having your small procedures, your fillers, your Botox, maybe having lipo, depending on how your fat distribution is. I don't really think a tummy tuck and surgical procedure, again, is all personal decision on what you are. Mm-hmm. In your 40s, that's when you really start noticing some things that are just not in place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's when you really notice, you know, the wrinkles, you know. That's when you notice the lines on the face, especially. That's when you start noticing the love handle, your a waistline is probably a little snuggier. That size skirt, just you know, the zipper doesn't go all the way up. So more exercising, more eating, and more invasive procedures start coming in into your 40s. It's all dependent. In your 50s, you know, I call that the year of really reflective. I think at that point, you pretty much know what you want in your life. If you don't know, then I'm not sure how to really... <laughs> pursue somewhat something like that so you know what you want and you know what works and you know what you would like to achieve and so the things you're doing at that time is very intentional in your 40s is also very intentional I'm intentionally wanting to have liposuction here because that's what I want it's no longer oh you know this person looks good so your 50s is a really good time to really be intentional the procedures you want based on what you would like in your 60s you know Life is fun at that point. <laughs> if you want to do it, do it. Yes. Yeah. 
And thank you. Thank you, Dr. Aim. Um, it's been wonderful having you on our show today. It's been very insightful. Um, and um, if you'd like to find out more about Dr. Aim, she's on www.drdaisyaim.com. So you can follow her, find out if you'd like any procedures done and therapies. Yeah, you can also find on my Instagram account at Dr. Daisy Aim. I'm also there and I have a, a business Facebook account. Good. Wonderful. And thank you for joining us. Thank well, you thank very you. much for joining us. Thank you, ladies, for having me. Thank, you. thank you so much.